This is an episode I've been looking forward to for a while. Marvin founded a group called Dope Black Dads, which is a strong network of black dads who communicate regularly on the important topics that guys rarely talk about or seek out peer advice on. He has a great system for developing trust, accountability, and even calling BS on your closest friends as they, as they all work together towards becoming the best dads they can. I had a blast talking with Marvin, talking about not just dope black dads, but his life story and his approach to parenting. He was very open and engaging, and he has such a positive focus and empowering message that we all need to hear. Enjoy. Marvin, thanks for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure. So two years ago, you were a normal guy with a career in marketing, living a typical life outside the spotlight, as far as I can tell. And uh, <laughs> two years later, you founded Dope Black Dads. You built it into an awesome community and a brand and possibly even a movement. You've been featured in Forbes and the BBC and dozens of other out- outlets so um, let's start off today. Just tell us a little about Dope Black Dads. What is it? How'd you come up w- with it? And why is it taken off? Yeah, so, so Dope Black Dads is a digital safe space for the black community, specifically black fathers, to come together and talk about all the things that impact the male parenting experience. Our kind of big focus is male parenting, mental health, uh, and masculinity. Um, and so it's really just looking at how do we solve these big problems in our community? How do we um, improve our socioeconomic outcomes pretty much everywhere? Um, but also just like the, the mental, you know, I don't want to call it a trauma, but the, the mental pain of being a male parent at times is so unique and under discussed that it's kind of made it a real challenge in terms of you know, how, how do we get through this? How do you survive, you know, the early years of a child being in your family? How do you survive um, with your partner and actually staying married? These are kind of big questions that, you know, historically were answered by just sheer force. So I think people stayed in marriages and relationships and uh, by sheer force. And then, but were they happy? Um, and I think now happiness is a real measurement for people. And so people don't want to just be married just to say that they were married. So you've actually got to make it work in real terms. Um, and I would also just say that the male parenting experience has shifted so much in the last 20 years. And, and probably if you're in the 30 to 40 bracket or slightly older, then you're, you're in the realm of probably being raised by a very interesting man who didn't do uh, certain types of hugging and emotion, but uh, was very strict, but also had love in different ways. And like, you know, would that take you to a game or something? And that was what love was. And, and you never really got some of the other stuff. So it's a, it's a new era of male parenting and no one's really know how to do it very well. Yeah, I agree that it's a, it's a topic that we're all faced with that we, no one talks about much. So I like mm-hmm. how you've got the, got the conversation moving. Yeah, it's been an incredible maybe two-year period. Um, and, and to be fair, it started from a place of just like I was sad. I was trying to be a good husband, a good father, uh, enjoy my career, remember who I was and have time for myself. Uh, and and then even when I got many of the things that people said that you should get as a man, which is like the house, wife, car, career, uh, my family were healthy, I still wasn't particularly happy and I couldn't really understand why. Um, and I, but really, I just wasn't enjoying it though. Like I had, I had the things, but I, I wasn't enjoying the things, and I was trying, uh, really, just to be amazing dad as a concept rather than as an actual experience, which is different to me. Um, and the concept, which was hella elusive, was constantly confusing me because um, what people tell you what a good dad is versus what an actual experience of a good dad is just requires you to listen to your children. <laughs> which is a lot simpler than like you've got to, you know, have a trust fund and you've got to take them out every day and you've got to like play games and you've got, they got to laugh every second and they got to eat, you know, vegetables more than anything else. Like all these pressures that they're not, that that's all conceptual. The actual moment of when you spend time with your kids and they're 
giggling to their highest, like, like coming out of every part of their body. That's the success, and that's what they will remember. I like that. So having a better understanding of what being the real ideal dad is enables you to have find that happiness that wasn't wasn't quite there a couple of years ago. Yeah, and I think I think it's actually very simple. And I think I always made it very complex and I made it very big and I made it, you know, looking at what mothers do. Mothers, you know, they, they make parenting look and feel like it's life altering. And um, it takes a bit longer for dads. And so I used to look at my wife with almost like a slight resentment. I was like, why are you enjoying this so much? Why do they make you so happy? They don't even talk <laughs> yeah. to me. They're Especially even... that first couple of years, man. It's like, <laughs> I, I, you know, I was like, yeah, I want to be a dad. I want kids. I love kids. And I'm picturing like four-year-old, six, eight, someone you can play with, run around, yeah. pickle, throw a ball, you know. And and then it's like the first couple of years are rough, man. It's like they can't do anything fun, and they are a ton of work. Yeah, you're like a driver, picker upper, uh, reacher of the high shelf, uh, lift heavy things, uh, fix the thing that didn't work because you know, like that's your primary function for about two and a half years, and then one day they just look at you and they just like wrestle you and just like jump on your head and like and you find yourself lifting them up in the air with one arm and you're like this is what daddying is about it's about putting my child in moderate risk and and saving them <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's when i kicked in <laughs> you know what's so funny you know on uh when there's like father's day and and you'll see a compilation on youtube of like dads saving the kids lives and yeah. and uh and it's like all these last minute saves from a kid getting hit by a car <laughs> or getting run over by somebody but i was thinking about it the other day i'm like you know what they don't say is like at least half the time the kid probably should have never been put in that situation <laughs> and, and that did it that did it. It's, it's never like the mum set the setting and then dads had to save them from the mums organizing because mums have this like real care for the life that they created and that came out of them so they don't throw their children in the air as high as they humanly can and try to catch them they just decide to love them on the ground like <laughs> like regular people that is so true Man, I, I really like what you're doing because I feel like we're working on similar problems. You know, I started the podcast Dad Conversations because I feel like in general, dads are made out to be fools in the media and entertainment industry. And so I wanted to spotlight good people doing good things. And you know, you're spotlighting and facilitating with a subset of the dad community, um, shining a, a beacon on, on good people and, and good practices. Um, so, I mean, I see us working on the same team. You're maybe working on, uh, maybe the most important group who has in the media even had it worse than, than dads in general. So, um, I, you know, I like what you're doing, man. I appreciate you working on this. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, so you mentioned male parenting, mental health and masculinity. Mm -hmm. um, we've talked a little about male parenting, anything you would add to what we've shared there. And then also I'd love to hear a little more about your focus on mental health and, and masculinity and, and what your priority around masculinity is. Yeah. So when it comes to mental health and masculinity, I find them always inter intertwined. They're not really separable. And so I think the old version of masculinity causes men to have bad mental health problems because i think if you look at the family you created the wife you you come from and the things that you choose to do with your day um if you are consciously consciously picking and you are picking based on your joy and where your joy is you wouldn't pick 90 percent of the stuff that masculinity tells you you have to do and so it's like you know even even like Look, I, I enjoy foot, watching football. You, you guys have called it soccer as you've stolen it and called it something <laughs> else. But I, I enjoy football incredibly and sitting in front of a screen watching that as an unwinder is fantastic. But I think what happens if you created a life where you didn't need to unwind from it? Like, would, would you still do it? And it's like, like that, the, the escapism of being in the moment of a game um, is fantastic. But what if you just didn't need to escape anything? What if you didn't even need to enter the realm of like watching sports? You could just live out in the real world with everybody else, with your family, with your kids. 
and and I do it a lot. I do it because like I watch Netflix when I'm like really tired and it kind of just numbs the mind in a way which is like just give me entertainment, any form of entertainment. And and it's not really about enjoying life. It's just about escaping the life that I actually didn't want to live. And so when we talk about mental health and masculinity, we do every week on a Thursday, we do a sharing call. Um, and it basically is a space where men come together and they would just say, I and go off wherever wherever you are as long as it starts with an i and you own it as your own personal experience and it's something that's impacting you day to day right now and it could be anything from i've just had to spend a whole bunch of money to like my wife is like not being kind right now or you know my job is messing me around or i've lost my like whatever it is just i and then you talk about yourself and just like what's going on for you at the level that you're happy with it and it just releases you from the like what you must do uh, and who you must be when you're doing that thing. And it's like, most of the time it's like sharing too much emotions and thoughts and feelings keeps us all bottled in, in this kind of like, this like combustible tube of emotion. And then what ends up happening is when we do lose our job, our football team loses for the eighth time. I don't know who you support, but I support Arsenal, which is a brutal experience. So if you're like a New York Knicks fan or something <laughs> and haven't won since 1970-whatever, you know, that happens for the 18th time. And, you know, you lose your job and then your wife's too busy to talk to you and your kids say, I don't want you, I want mummy. And they run off and, you know, your secretary's looking at you with some, some eyes and she's like, oh, you seem like a strong man. This is how families break down because we create this kind of combustible environment where i'm not able just to say that i'm sad that my children reject me every day and they want to go see their mum, and i love them too and i want to be someone that can be in their life to help them when they're sad if you can't say that out loud then you just bottle it in and then you become someone who is unable to express that you're sad and that just turns us into monsters and it gives us a lot of challenges with mental health which is why male suicide is is you know I think in the UK, it's like 76% of all suicides are male. Um, and they always do it so violently. It's always a gun to the head or a, or a hanging. It's so it's so desperate and, and violent. It's never like a subtle, oh, I took some arsenic and fell asleep in my in my room. It's like, I just want to destroy my brain. I want to just, I, I, I want to end it. And it's just such a horrible experience at times. And we've got to find the full spectrum of masculinity and reintroduce it back into the lives of men again. And I just think it's just been, I say again, but I don't think it's been active for hundreds, if not thousands of years, but it's desperately time that we evolve from the old way of thinking because I, I don't know who's really winning or like how many people are really winning who aren't doing, who don't have a vice, who aren't taking drugs, who aren't escaping their life constantly. I don't know how many people are actually doing that. And I think there is a good balance that you can do as well as have the family you've created. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's a lot there. Um, I on that last point, I feel like it's and my experience has been um, trying to aim for like the I being the ideal still, but also being comfortable with just being someone who can function at a at a basic level. You know, who can consistently be there um and it's like shoot shoot for the stars but but also don't beat yourself up when you don't hit land on the stars you know um that's kind of my approach i don't know but i think that's a good point though it's like how many ideal people are out there with with um just getting their kids to eat vegetables every meal perfect yeah no vices they're you know you know that, that person doesn't exist probably but um is i mean i i don't know but do you feel like there's um i in my I feel like there's value in having something up there, but you don't want to have a goal uh, or a a vision that makes you feel like you're inadequate or something. I don't know. It's kind of a balance, right? No, it is. But I I think even if you think about your children, what they really care about is time. They want your time. They want you to be around to create little moments with them. And these aren't necessarily big moments. It's not Disneyland every weekend. It's just make me laugh, teach me something. I want to spend time with you. Like your children, as you know, like your boys, they see you as a hero. And so, especially in the early years, they just want to, they just want to be around and absorb how you move, how you talk, like what you do. They're just staring at you, taking it as a sponge. Your actual just presence of being alive in and around them very close is enough. 
And then you talk about your your wife, your partner, your girlfriend, your husband, whoever the, the dynamic is, but the other person in your life, the adult, all they really want is time. They want their time with you. They want to feel that you love them. They want to feel the experience of you loving them in the moment. And it's like, these things don't necessarily come with a six-figure salary. It's not required. We, we've created that. And, and usually men are the only ones in the family trying to make this megalomania vision of life like happen. Everybody else is kind of like, look, when, I'm not saying you don't earn nothing, but once you've earned that for a couple of years and you bought the house that you have and you got the car that you need, there's nothing yeah. else really to buy. And then we end up kind of like trying our best to create and find more things to buy. Oh, we've got to travel to Europe now because that's the next thing that we haven't done. And it's just like, yeah, but like, how about you took a year off and just hung out um, and actually just lived in a low cost way together, like remembering your kids like six, seven, eighth, tenth year um, and was really there just to coach them through school um, and really know what's going on with them. That is of true value, not just to the world, but to yourself. Like you can't buy that. And I think, I, I'm, I, you know, I, I earn six figures. I'm not trying to rubbish people trying to earn money. It's not a hippie outlook. It's just that when you earn that much money, you still feel incomplete anyway because that money doesn't actually do the thing you think it's going to do because now you've got to maintain a very expensive life that you created. Now your mortgage is $3,000 or pounds a, a month and you've now got to maintain that. Otherwise you lose your house. Whereas if you just stuck to a 1700 pound modest house, you might've been able to do that while you did, you know, something else and work three, three days a week instead of five. And you could spend Monday and Friday and the weekend with the family and you can still have a very good life. It just, it just requires a bit of like adjustments, but it's possible, yeah. especially when the kids are young. Like, you know, if you want to invent yourself to be a billionaire when you're later on in life, do, do what you want. That's, you know, it's fun to do that too. But if you're not in that bracket and you're kind of in the middle, it's a bit of a trap to be honest. Yeah. Good point. I think it too often we associate money with, uh, or the, our pursuit of income with future happiness. And that's not, uh, it may be, you know, debatable if it's correlated, but uh, it's not certainly the source of happiness. It's like a tool along the way maybe to be used and sometimes used ineffectively. But um, the happiness comes from, like you were saying, that family time. Um, that's, that's great. One thing that I, um, I was thinking of, if we can go back to when you mentioned the Thursday calls with the group, it almost mm. sounded like, it's a healthy outlet for grown men to vent. You know, it's like yeah. the stereotype is is um, that women vent and men hold things in. But it sounds like you create an outlet for, for men to just talk about their feelings and uh, open up in a way where everyone on the group has something to share. No one's trying to judge each other, but just just get things out. I'll get it off your chest. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, yeah, and the framework is we don't we don't bow mouth our spouses. We don't speak about them in that way. We we own everything from our own perspective. So even if your marriage isn't working, it's like what could I be doing to make my wife desire me again after being together fifteen years? And then we will coach each other on the things that you can do. It's like right, are you are you actually showering twice a day? Are you like brushing your teeth before you go to bed when you're like asking for sex after a long day of like farting and scratching? And then you go to your wife like, hey, do you want some of this? And she's like, no, I don't. I'm like, I've literally watched you eat food off your stomach for about two hours and fart. No, I don't want to have sex. So what what can we do? And own of like making it variable down the line and and actually it's really good to be held account by other men actually because we, <laughs> we we just don't allow for bullshit very much <laughs> that is so good man because uh one that's all it's so good uh it's you're holding it accountable you know like you're they're owning it it's not like oh i've all these things are going wrong and it's all other people's fault you know it's like hey what can you do to improve it i love that and um I don't even know what I was about to say, but you got me rolling there, man. That was a good one. <laughs> so what's funny is one time, uh, one of my female friends was like drilling into me just to listen, like in general, just in life. Because we look after lots of people. There's people in all of our intersections. And so we, we, we sit in space with people. And I was like, I need to learn from, and there's so much I need to learn. And she's like, if you listen to people, they will tell you. And then she said that to me. I remember like maneuvering to my wife and just looking at myself and just thinking like, I don't want to have sex with me. So I just like, I feel like 
<laughs> let me go away and present myself in a way that's like desirable. Let me, you know, be a, a, aware and, 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 and in the room beforehand to make sure that we're connected before we go into that in the evening. You know, women don't just turn off of men for no reason. We, we become complacent and, we, and we've got to be better at, you know, maintaining ourselves and caring for ourselves and caring for our partners and giving them time and attention, listening to what they have to say before we ask to like have sex with them. Yeah, I've made, it, I've made it about sex for some reason. There's more things going on. <laughs> hey, that's, that's a very really good example. Very important uh, aspect of life. So, um, you, I love that it's. I remember the other thing I was going to say, and that's the the tribe concept of it. Because today it's like there's um, a lot of people are struggling with their I- identity and who do they belong. You know, you got you've got uh, Arsenal is one tribe you're in. You've got the uh, dope black dads community there, where it's a group of. Um, other dads who you trust and respect. And when they say, when you open up with a challenge and then they say, Hey man, make sure you, you know, shower, clean yourself up, take care of yourself. You know, you, that's something you can hold yourself accountable to. You're like, yeah, all these other dads are doing it. Like I trust them. I align with them. We're on the same page and that's good feedback that I should follow. And that can, that really does like from, from personal experience, when I've had situations like that, where you get advice from someone who, you know, and trust, it's like, all right, if they do it, I need to do it. So I, I just love that aspect of it. Yeah, I, I love it. And, and actually, you know, even me being held to account, like I'm constantly looking for a better way to, to live. But sometimes I get it wrong. And like, if I speak it out loud, then I can have people that can challenge me and tell me that I'm full of shit. Like, I think that 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 thing of like calling bullshit on people, you have to love them first. But like being yeah, able to listen to what someone's saying and be like, I call bullshit. And it's like, people now get excited when I'm saying something that's inauthentic. And they're like this, oh, 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 oh. oh. I call bullshit. And then it's like, yeah. oh, yeah. What, what, what have I missed? Was well, that like, Marvin, what you didn't do is you didn't, you, it's just like me, me, me. And I'm like, right, okay, okay. And that's why holding counsel with other men um, is so, so important. And and like, I mean, holding counsel, I don't mean just like ribbing each other and like talking about how big your penis is and like the game yesterday, like actually what is happening in your life? You have not earned any more money for like, three years and you complain about money in your job what are you doing to go about it and then you start talking and you're like you start talking about how hard it is and the market is this and the stuff but what have you done to make it possible to make more money and then these men will just stand there and stare at you and you know you can't lie because men know how we lie we know the cold and the scratching of the eyebrow and the shifting they're like well you know uh, and we know and then just put your hand up and then just like I love you, but I call bullshit. That is our, yeah. that's our formal way of doing it. It's fantastic. How did you, was that just a good idea that like popped into your head or how did you get into that? I like that call BS it, on. It, it just, it kind of came from a bit of an experience. Um, and like doing some different coaching and different ways of like living and you find out this information about what we do and how we always project on other people and i remember went to one of these these um, coaching sessions and and they just did it they were like look i love this whole room and they made us feel like they loved them and then the next part they were just calling bullshit on everything we said all the time we were like masking how we truly feel or hiding behind concepts that weren't real they were just like i call bullshit and then and it'll just deadpan you and you're like, yeah, yeah but and you just kind of like <laughs> trying to hold on to like a piece of what you think is happening. And, it, and it's just a really good and quick way. But you you, and you need love in the space before you can do that. Don't go up to someone in the street and just call BS. I think it is slightly underwhelming to hear that from strangers. <laughs> it does have to come from people you care about and have signed up to live life with. I like that. I agreed on all counts. That's awesome. Can I say BS on your podcast? I just realized like in England it's a yeah. little softer term, but I am um, go for it. I'm going for the oh. full. I'll uh I, you're good, man. I say roll. Mm. Um I read on your blog you had some interesting comments about wealth. Would you mind mm. sharing kind of the highlights of of uh, what you communicated in the article? Yeah, it's basically this idea that it's not just about financial wealth, it's about uh I think it's um mental physical and emotional health um and that's also important uh, and basically there's four different wealth categories that is a lot broader um i actually can't remember my own article right now but there's four other um parts of of wealth and you really need to pay attention i think time um health um 
and then physical yeah so it's, it's kind of like different ways of looking at how we acquire wealth and for us a bit of health a physical health and mental health is a massive one especially physical health at this time and it's just like i think men always feel like they can walk through fires uh, to get stuff done and they often really deeply value financial wealth and they want generational wealth for their kids and that's what they kind of feel like it's like if i die at 47 but leave my kids 50 million then it's like job done and it's like maybe not maybe maybe yeah. that's not very useful how about you make 10 million and make it to 90. <laughs> I was like, let's, let's do a trade-off. Um, and I, and I want to kind of push that agenda into, into people more because too often, um, we're, we're just dying really young, like really, really young from heart and strokes and aneurysms and, you know, liver disease and all sorts of things trying to cope. So, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of fitness, man, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I've found myself not being held accountable to wearing pants. You know, I'm wearing elastic uh, shorts every day for months and uh, just having that, that check of regularly putting on pants and saying, Ooh, these feel a little tight. You know, now I've gotten to the point where a lot of my pants don't even fit. I'm like, I got to do something. <laughs> for me, jeans are esteem. That's, that's what they are right now. Like you put jeans on, you're like, I'm actually, I'm a grown up. I'm a grown up in the world. I'm not just in my sweatpants. I'm not just in some jogging shorts. I'm actually like an adult. I've got jeans on. So that that's what the pandemic has done to us. It's made us really appreciate comfortable clothing. No doubt. Well, Marvin, let's get to know you a little bit more on a personal level. So love to do a similar profile that we do with all of the dads on dad conversations and just kind of walk us through your starting with your origin story. You know, where'd you grow up? What were your interests as a kid? Uh, how would other people describe little Marvin and, and uh, set the record straight? How would you just what's the real story? What was little Marvin like? Yeah, yeah. so I, I grew up in East London, Hackney. Uh, East London is a bit like a Brooklyn, which is, yeah, Hackney is very similar to Brooklyn, but just smaller. Uh, and so it was historically um, quite a tough neighborhood. And then gentrification came, people moved in, and it's kind of evolving into kind of a, a nice melting pot, a nice hybrid of, of different areas. So we had strong black presence, but we also had lots of integration. The area that I immediately grew up in is called an estate. Uh, which would be similar to like a housing project. Um, that was very, very working class, very British, very white. Um, but it, it, white working class British in the 90s was pretty a, a nice place to live. They were very um, loving and welcoming. Um, and I was raised by my mother, um, single mother with four kids. I was the third child. Um, and, uh, you know, my, my upbringing was great. It's kind of like, you know, my mom covered all the bases. You know, I never knew I needed a dad until like... <laughs> I think I was like 19 years old and I was like, it'd be nice to hear from another man right now. But by that point, I'd already gone into life and started to grow. So uh, my mom was one of those kind of superhero, catching, receiving, hitting. She was doing the whole the whole thing. Um, and I had a really good relationship with my brothers. We kind of played with brothers and sisters. We just, we were so connected um, for many years and we kind of did everything together. Uh, which was really nice. So I, I was very fortunate. I didn't. I didn't really have much ambition growing up. I actually, you know, my life was quite simple, and my goals were quite simple. And then I suppose as I started to achieve things, um, I started looking for more answers in a, in a slightly different way of living. Hmm. What? And were you a lifelong Arsenal fan? I actually wasn't. There's a team called Leeds United, which is uh, based up in Yorkshire, which is up north. And uh, when I was uh, growing up in the 90s, they actually won the first division just before it turned into the Premier League. So they won the first division. Oh, cool. And they had, they had quite a lot of black players. Uh, Brian Dean, uh, I think Tony Yeboah came later, um, Rod Wallace. There was like a really good group of uh, Carlton Palmer. There was a group, group of uh, black players who I was just like, wow. Um, and they wore this like really nice white kit with like um, blue writing on it. And I was like, I love this team. And um, I supported them up until like 2003. And then they got relegated to like four divisions down and I gave up. And I was just like, I, I just want to watch a team that, you know, is nearby my house and like plays decent football. And Arsenal were like 10 minutes away. So I became uh, a, a lone E fan. And then I, I formally signed over um, about five years ago. But the thing is, Leeds are now back in the Premier League. So I'm a little bit torn. Ooh, <laughs> it just got it. promoted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just like, I was watching the final game. Like, what's going to happen when 
I think I'm going to stick with Arsenal because I, you know, they're going to be bottom of the league, but I shall be watching with love. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's one thing we need to borrow from you guys in the U.S. We've got teams that are awful and they get rewarded for being awful, whereas over there it's like it's cutthroat, man. They're not, they can't afford to lose many games. You know, you get relegated. It's so bizarre. It's such a competitive and like megalomaniac capitalist place. You guys are like very mediocre with your like sports competition. It's a bit like you just stay in the league. And you just, yeah. you, get, you get a draft pick. It's like, what's a draft pick? You know, if you're rubbish in the Premier League last year, you're rubbish next year too. There's nothing you can do about it. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I'll have a word of your leadership. Let's, let's get it more competitive. <laughs> let's relegate some people. Yeah. Uh, so tell me your, tell me about your career journey. Uh, what were you originally interested in? What path did you head down and, um, has it always been in marketing or what's your, and, and kind of, how did you navigate into marketing? I was very fortunate. So I, I kind of arrived, um, so as I said, when I was growing up, I just wanted to work in my supermarket. We have a supermarket called Sainsbury's, uh, and it's kind of like mid tier, mid, mid upper tier supermarket. Um, and I just, I was like, I'm going to shelves. I think that looks like a lot of fun. It looks like you could just work with your hands, just put your headphones on, live a life and just, you know, you get paid. That's what it matters. Um, <clears throat> and I kind of had that very simple dream until, uh, I basically went to college, which is like the latter end of high school for you guys. Um, it's just before university and, and, uh, I did one year and then the course got, um, stripped away cause they didn't have a teacher to do the next year. And so I had to basically go back and do this two-year course all over again. So I left that institution, went to another institution, and my friend from my high school was there, and he was just like, hey. And so he, me and him had a very competitive relationship. It was like very good friends, but I want to win. And so he, start, he told me he's going to university, and I was like, I'm going to university then. You can't go to university without me. I'm smart too. <laughs> <laughs> and so I applied on that basis uh got in without any real idea of what i wanted to, to to do walked into the hall and heard the accounting person speak and i was like i'll do accounting i'll get a job and this kind of sounds pretty serious i'm smart enough to figure it out um and then um he was very boring and i looked to my left and there was this tiny canadian lady this like whirlwind who was like talking about marketing and it kind of felt like harry potter the way she was speaking it was like you know just magic flying around her head and it was like very big and, and i was like wow I, I want i want to do that and so i just signed up without really understanding it and you know years later i was very fortunate it actually aligns with my kind of like natural gift of what i'm good at which is more strategically and analytical. Um, so I'm very good at kind of taking big pictures and, and forming a narrative from those pictures um, and then get given a created outlook. And I kind of think that's really helped with watching Dog Like Dads. That's awesome. Yeah, we, um, I feel like in general, uh, British people are great with marketing. Like the, the top marketing firms there tend to do really well. And I've got a friend who was in marketing and UK moved to the US and and um, he's like amazing, you know. Just you, I don't know. You got the mind for it somehow. Yeah, I think I think there's a, yeah, there's a cultural thing that I think you adapt to in a way of of being that's quite similar to um, a universal language. Um, but also, Britain sits quite lofty atop in terms of like civilization and development of the arts and, um, and creative. And so it's it's a very good place to be. You're surrounded by very intelligent people. But also what I found is that my skill was by kind of growing up black, there's like a bit of a pressure cooker that's created by your lived experience, which makes you look at the world different. Uh, I don't I don't look at it from an entitled view. I'm constantly analyzing the world to see where I can fit in and make sense of it. And so I see the world completely different to my colleagues. And I think that's been a bit of a gift as well or a byproduct of um, growing up black in Britain. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The more uh, diverse opinions, then you're going to get a better product in the end. So, mm. that's good. Um, what is something you wish the average person knew about marketing? Um, that it's not about ideas. <laughs> I think everybody thinks it's like it's about your idea. Like I, I sat there and I watched a TV program and I had an idea. And then that idea becomes a, a campaign and everyone puts millions of pounds behind it. And that's what makes you a genius. It's a bit like the modern day form of an opinion. 
where everyone says, well, I'm entitled to my opinion. And it's like, yeah, but we don't have to actually hear it and listen to it, though, do we? We can, You can have it and you can say it in a vacuum if you want. But do I have to like put you on TV and hear your opinion because you gathered it? And so I think before in the 90s, we had this incredible thing of having opinions based on people's either uh, lived experience, i.e. I saw something. <laughs> and so here's my opinion of what was happening. Or it was based on your like specialist area of expertise. So I worked in this industry for 20 years and I have an opinion on why this might be happening. Those spaces I'm comfortable with. If you've just got an opinion because you watched a lot of news and you now think that this type of person is like this, then I have the right to be like, no, I don't have to participate in your self-image and opinion. Hmm. I like that. For, let's say, um, a recent college graduate who's interested in going into marketing and they're um, – or what would you recommend to them as tips as they're heading into that field? My, my view is if you're 13 years old, you should be engineering towards your career right now. The internet has created this amazing democratized – place where whatever you care about there is a web page there is a platform there is a person there is a company doing it celebrating experiencing it and you should be dming that company that thing that you care about and being like hey i will manage your social media channels for you i will come up with creative plans for you i will work for you now because i can and you can do it from the safety of your home you can be, you know, all these things are fundamentally important, but the internet has like blown open everything. So people who complain about the internet, I just look at you blink really slowly because before there was a gatekeeper, you couldn't, you know, there's, there's so many things you wouldn't be able to do without being able to go through a very, you know, powerful, influential, probably slightly, you know, touchy feely character. And you know, you've got to beg him to like, I want to be in your film. Now it's just like, I'm going to get my iPhone 11 and I'm going to go and make a film because i can and i'm gonna put it out on instagram and it will probably do very well like you know if it's good yeah yeah uh, what would you say for if there's someone who's mid-career that has a change of plans and they really want to go into marketing are there uh that's probably not an easy path but uh if someone was dead set on doing it what would your advice be to someone who's looking to transition into marketing I think that's the same thing. I think it's like the 13-year-old and the 47-year-old is in the same job market because there's 13-year-olds growing Instagram pages with hundreds of thousands of people on them. There's people now who make football slash soccer pages, which is like showing people doing tricks and nutmegs and scoring goals. And those things have hundreds of thousands of followers and they become content creators and they end up you know, leading content for football clubs. That, that, that person is competing at 14, 15, 16, 17, with a 47-year-old who's pivoted into social media because they probably know it with the same level of intensity, if not more, for the 14-year-old. So my thing is, is go find some brands and, and work, you know, four extra hours or eight, 10 extra hours a week and say, I'm going to give you 10 hours a week, um, football.com, and I'm going to, like, help you with your strategy and pivot you through experience um, and also great in a, a network for helping people. It's not always actually that difficult. It's actually just about going out and helping people and being useful. I like that. If you're willing to hustle, you can always find a way. Always. Good. So before we get into mentors, I want to come back to something. I got distracted when we were talking about Leeds and Arsenal, but you had talked about your your mom as a single mother. And, and for a, a brief period, my mom was also a single mother. I just want to say shout out to all single mothers out there. Mm -hmm. You guys are amazing and uh i wish there were no single mothers but there there always will be and and um you know may, oftentimes through no fault of their own but the amount of uh single mothers and single dads out there but just um so much work that they do i can't imagine doing that i'm sure you would agree with that um yeah. I, always, I always feel like got to give them the benefit of the doubt uh two or three times anything they're doing um just they need love and support they're doing awesome mm. I very much agree. Um, mentors, tell me about uh, who are your mentors? How did you get connected with them? And in what ways have they been helpful for you? So it's, I've been very fortunate. I've had two, I had two very clear mentors who intersected with me at very pivotal points. 
And so, as I said, I didn't have any plans for the future. At about 19 years old, in my second year of university, I was taken to a meeting, uh, which was a thing called, it's called verbal intercourse. Um, and what it was is men, people, women, they were mostly black and creative, but it wasn't necessarily limited to. They would sit in a circle and then just discuss topics intensely. So anything as to how you improve relationships between men and women, how you, you know, better improve socioeconomic performance for a particular working class group of people. And we would just dissect these issues. And it was really interesting hearing these very intellectual people speak and so I sat in that space for like 18 months and the person that founded the space, a guy called Carl Ramsey, um, I ended up, I just volunteered my services to him and I became a part of everything that he did for about five, four or five years um, and learned so much. I met some incredible people. So he's an extremely important person. Um, and then slightly shortly afterwards, um, I'd set up my own business. It was doing events and we, I was doing pretty good in terms of turnover. Um, but I wanted to pivot into more the music industry. And I met this guy called Richard Antwi. He's a Ghanaian man. He had gone to Oxford University, a uh, highly accomplished and intelligent man. Um, he's actually passed away now. So um, uh, thoughts are with him and his family. But he, he's passed away now. But he was just a brilliant example of almost like Carlton from Fresh Prince. He was cooler than that. But like, you know, <laughs> they demonize Carlton as to be like this other um and, and and actually you know that that type of black man is really important and it's really powerful and it's you know it's one that's not celebrated as much as it should be um, and he was just very intelligent very well prepared um and taught me a lot just about business and also just character as a man and when i think that's one thing when you have absent fathers is like you know as me as a child i became a man through like traumatic events rather than through like guidance and i think that that cost me um, at very particular points in my younger years. Hmm. That's, I can imagine those being very valuable mentors for you. That's awesome. Mm. I, spent a, I spent a couple of years in England and was very fortunate to meet several people from Ghana. And that's just, uh, I've never been to Ghana and don't know a ton about it. Uh, I've, but I haven't met a single Ghanaian person that I didn't view was awesome. <laughs> They're yeah. just, just great people. So kind. There's, there's a lot of esteem. There's a, a beautiful custom. Um, just they're just kind people, and and it's funny because when we talk about black people, often we ignore the people who are actually um, in Africa and what the mannerisms and temperament of those people are. And then you got to think when you take people from that environment and place them in like a Europe or a America, that they, they become someone and there's a, maybe a connection between taking people from their habitats and forcing them to survive in a hostile environment and what they might become. And I think when you when you meet Ghanaians or you meet general, just people who are from the continent, their esteem and pride and it's, it's incredible. And it's really like, it's really moving. Um, and I, and yeah. I love Ghanaian people. Um, and, and Nigerians have a lot of respect for South Africans. We have a group there also have a lot of esteem. They're, they're the three groups of Africans that I've connected with at scale. Awesome. You ever had fufu? Yeah, 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 yeah. Banku, moi moi. We, 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 eat, we eat interchangeably. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love fufu, peanut soup. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So hobbies, tell me when you're, when you're not working, not spending time with the wife and kids, what are your hobbies? How often do you participate? And uh, is there anything you wish you were able to do more of? I, I don't really have hobbies. Like my, my thing is, is I like connecting with people. And so um, I bake in several meetings, like podcasts and just catch ups with people throughout my day. My energy comes from being around other people who are heavily impacted in the middle of a joy, celebrating something, need some guidance. I just, you know, that that being in in life with people is my hobby. And I think, you know, sometimes I do selfish things. Like I, I have a lot, a, quite a long self-care list, which is about 27 things long, which is like anything from like massaging my beard for half an hour to like a bath. I've got an incredible like bath set up um, whenever I'm heavily challenged, um, meditation, I try to do every day. Uh, yoga is something I do less frequently, but is really, really good to like stretch out the body at times. Um, I'm not a huge gym person or like participant sport type person. I enjoy like the mental rigor of just like figuring out stuff that's where my joy comes from so that plus I've also I got some plants recently uh, and this I'll tell you right now, 
apart from actually creating human beings, but actually like taking seeds, putting them in a pot and watching them grow is way too much fun. I did, I, I discovered <laughs> it like last week, but yeah. I've, got, I've, got, I've got some garden like broad beans and they're like growing, but they've grown so quickly. Like I, I woke up and I was like, I got emotional. I was like, oh, my children are dead. <laughs> I'm, I'm a plant dad. That's awesome. Yeah, it's something people, it's like, it seems like people who garden are way into gardening. There's not many people who are like, yeah, do a little bit, you know, yeah. you get sucked in. And then, and then you want to, you want to create everything you eat and then you just, you just end up on a, in a place, man. But I'm, I'm all for it, man. Anything to do with my hands and creating life and things I'm down for. So I'm, I'm going to probably do way more of that. And um, that's going to be my old man hobby. I feel like I'm going to call you back in six months or a year and your background is just going to be full of all these plants you're <laughs> cultivating. <laughs> just eating stuff directly from it in our, in our conversation. Yeah. yeah. Um, tell me about a book that has greatly influenced your life. The, the one right now that's loudest is probably the ways of superior man. Um, I don't know if you've read that book, that, that book is, it's like a, it's not even very long. It's probably got about 12 chapters in it, but each chapter has segments in it. Uh, and it basically just takes you through what keeps men at the optimum kind of experience of masculinity. Um, and they don't talk about ways of superior man from a gender point of view. It's an energy point of view. So this idea that uh, masculinity is a, a dominant energy in people and women could be more masculine than feminine. And so we've all met women who who aren't, girly or who don't present themselves that way obviously there's a whole thing about non-binary and not necessarily people being cisgendered so the idea of like gender is evolving anyway and i think it's important to think about energy like what is your energy and where does your energy come from and so it's even things like some of the values i've communicated today like being held to count by um by by other men is one of the key values but one value that I really learned and it really helped me with my marriage is just like when you disagree with a woman, turn away from her lovingly. Um, it's a really powerful concept of, you know, sometimes it's like if it's me and you talking and you're like, I just disagree with you. I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't give a shit. And I walk off. And now right. you'd be like, like, you know, you'd be like, what? But you're not, you're not, it doesn't, it doesn't change you. It doesn't move you in, a, in that way. It doesn't break you in that way. And I think when you signed up to a woman and you're in her life and you're just cold and you're not emotionally connected, like you've got to turn away from her lovingly and draw the line lovingly when you feel like your values are not being met. Um, and I think that's a really important lesson. And, and, and again, I don't want to get into sort of gender and specifics of what women think they do and men think they do. And I'm different because I don't, you know, it's about energy. And so people who are more feminine, you can't pull away from them in that way. You have to do it more lovingly. And it's like, baby, I love you, but I can't do any more. I disagree with how, what you're saying, but I love you. Here's a kiss and go about your business. And yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it can't just be like, ah, oh, what are you talking about? And then just walk off because you, you know, <laughs> yeah. it, it just it doesn't work. And you reset your marriage all the time when you do that. And there will come a point where you, you break it beyond repair. Um, and mo most of us are in the business of trying to keep our marriages together. So um, it's, a, it's a valuable lesson that I learned. But Ways of a Superior Man is a, is a great book. That sounds uh, like well worth the read. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, how has a failure or significant obstacle in your path set you up for later success? It's really interesting because that we, we had a conversation. So basically, we're, we're supporting businesses with evolving their representation in, in their in their companies. Um, and one of the things is that I, I probably have spent more time focusing on that being a dad or being live, surviving the black experience than than anybody else has. And and actually. Um, it, it's made me more rounded and more prepared for life. Um, and so in many ways, I'm actually more layered and prepared for challenges than somebody who would be considered um, owning, having white privilege would have had. And so it, it's really made me just appreciate the complexities of my experience. And look, often, sometimes I just want to wake up and be, I don't want to have to like add a whole narrative and represent millions of people with my like movements and, you know, be caught, pulled over by police and called the N word and I'm going to go get a sandwich. I'd like to part those things and just, you know, do what everyone else does and just go to work. But 
what what it has created is is a very fearless individual, someone that is deeply emotionally connected to the surroundings. Um, and and I, I don't know if I would have become that person if I didn't have to adjust in the way that I did. So in many ways, the trauma is has taught stuff, but I feel you can get people there without the trauma. And I think that's what our job is as parents, but I think that's what us, me and you sitting here right now is, rather than let people go through the massive event of like losing your father to prison, your mum like being unemployed and being homeless and abuse and drugs and whatever to figure out that life needs to work a certain way. How about we all just tell each other and coach each other through what it takes to survive in a healthy way. And so I'm with my children, I'm very focused on like coaching them through the big challenges without them having to experience the darkest lowest points of life firsthand to to get the lesson right yeah we've one thing we've been doing in our family to show them uh lessons of what not to do is uh also a form of entertainment for us we'll go on youtube and watch fail videos (laughs) (laughs) well it's like a safety education for the kids yeah people jump between cars and you're like this is what happens when you jump between cars and i see (laughs) <laughs> I see winter day, you may slip and break something. He's like, so don't do that. <laughs> yeah. okay, I, did. I like that. And they, we've seen them, and they, and they actually, when they're talking to each other, they're like, you know, hey, oh, this looks like something that would be the start of a, a, a fail video. Maybe we shouldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, a pretty good measurement. Yeah. Uh, a little, you know, small scale, lower stakes than some of the bigger picture things you're talking about, but no, but right that's what you want you want to just show them a fail video you don't want them to have to actually break a collarbone to get the lesson so let's let's stick to fail videos and not deep life-changing trauma let's do that (laughs) yeah in in the last five years what new belief behavior or habit has most improved your life um probably my understanding of broader humanity that I didn't understand. So the importance of protecting, supporting, making space for and listening to women, um, which sounds obvious. I grew up in a, in a matriarch. So my perspective was still pretty clear in terms of what it was, but I didn't understand the levels of um, horrific experiences that women go through at scale, um, the amount of sexual violence, the amount of you know sexual d- domestic abuse, the amount of um, you know, just just every corner of society just being pushed. And, you know, w- women are the creators of humanity. But if you look at our health service, the health, all health services are designed on mainly solutions for men. And it's just like little stuff like that you didn't realize. And really listening to the trans community and uh, the LGBT community about some of the things that they experience and being othered and marginalized by all communities is a really loud thing. But I think the biggest thing is that, um, and it sounds particularly bonkers, but the goal in life is is to not attribute lots of unhealthy forms of meaning to it. Um, and, and I think what I did growing up is I made everything mean something. So whenever I had a bad experience, it was because, and it was either somebody else or because the world does this or because, you know, black people can't do this and, you know, men can't do this and, you know, boys from Hackney can't do this. And it, and I realized what it was doing is boxing in my experience. I was getting like, because men can't do this, Hackney people can't do this, black people can't do this. So I was just kind of like stuck in this tiny little space. And then I just, I just, whenever I had a bad experience, yeah, you feel the bad experience, but I didn't create a meaning of it though. I didn't make it mean something. It means that if I did it 10 times, it may work one of those times. And in that one time it works, I get all the blessings that I really, really wanted and probably deserve and are are skilled to do. So I kind of just moved away from making everything really heavy and permanent and more fluid. And I could go again and I could ask twice or I could ask the same person twice or I could, you know, apply myself differently and I'll get, I'll get the things that I'm, I'm deserving. I like that. So uh, moving on to the family topic, tell me a little about your family and maybe what's what's one thing you feel like you're nailing as a parent? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> um, so it's me, my wife. I think a lot of people feel that way. I used to I used to uh, preface that co- question with most people feel like they're failing and may not have anything. But if there's anything you're doing well, how, what are you nailing? But now I just shortened it to say, what's one thing you're nailing? 
Yeah, yeah. So it's me, my wife, uh, Nina. She runs Dope Black Mums. Uh, I have a daughter, too, and my son's four. He's about to start primary school. Um, and the thing that I'm probably doing best is I'm doing, like, a lot of coaching with my children. So I've installed, like, meditation, affirmations, um, yoga, fitness, um, he's very academically smart. Also, they're just both very confident. So I've empowered them to have a voice. The other day, they sat me down and said, Daddy, you're, you're shouting more um, because I was telling Ocean to like put her clothes on for like the sixth time. And the sixth time it got raised. And she was like, I don't like it when you shout. It's two and a half year old. She's like, Daddy, I want to my, uh, Daddy, can I talk to you, please? And I was like, yeah, of course you can. And she was like, Daddy, keep shouting. And I was like, do I? And she goes, yes, you shouted at me and I don't like it. I was like, mm, I'm so sorry. And I had to sit there and be like really self-reflective about the tone that I use in my own home. And I thought such a beautiful thing for your daughter to challenge you and tell you that you're being an arsehole. And I thought, that's impressive, man. At two and a half. Yeah, man. But that's this, awesome. I empower them to speak how they feel all the time, even if it's at my expense. Sometimes it's annoying, but more I'd, times I'd counter that with, I raised my, vo- I should have raised my voice the third time, but I waited till the sixth. <laughs> <laughs> Is that so you're lucky, but no, <laughs> you know, but for, for them, they really listen to you and hear the rules that you create and what that means. And so um, it's, it's really powerful because they're a mirror. They will tell you what you said, what time you said it, where you were, what you were wearing and quote you verbatim and then tell you that you're not living up to your end of the bargain. And so that's like powerful for me. Yeah, they absolutely will. They do not forget anything, especially if there's a reward in it for them of any kind. Absolutely. Or a chance for them just to like look good. That's one thing about kids. They will be like, but, but me, I did this as well. Daddy, don't you remember when you said that if you do this, that you would get this? And I'm like, oh, yeah. All right, we'll go to the toy <laughs> store tomorrow. Because <laughs> you did. You finished your workbook. Well done. Yeah, they're very good. So true. Um. In what ways are you a, and I think this ties into some of the previous comments, but in what ways would you say you're a better husband than three to five years ago? Yeah, I think three, three to five years ago, I was quite angry with a lot of things. I think a lot of the things I was angry about was just, you know, the injustice of how I thought I was raised. And I had some stories about my family and like growing up and my area and school. And I think, I think it just made me very angry. So if my wife ever like mirrored an injustice that I felt I had at a younger age, I would just become this like very miserable and and frustrated person. And so I think ironing out those things um, has been really healthy for me. I did done a couple of bouts of therapy, which I found really, really useful just to like ask questions about things that happened. Um, I always advise it to everyone to do no matter what you think is going on, because you just reveal a couple of things, you become a bit more of a human being and um, people can really relate to you when you're like closer to what you truly feel. So I found that particularly useful. Um, and even though we're, there's like challenges that happen in our marriage, I think we're probably better equipped to deal with them um, than we probably ever have been. And I, and I really hear her, see her, respect her. And I think, you know, some of those things are implied, but I think I would say my first probably 25 years of of dating and 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 being around women was just about how to get them into bed um and different variations of like i would like to have sex with you please um and then the humanity in them of like the person you're seeing and especially when you do over a very long period of time you, you know you go through so many phases with your wife that actually it's not as simple as like just being attracted and the depth of marriage really kicks in in a real reflective way and so you know, I get I get to fall in love with my wife like every twelve months um, currently because there's just loads going on. So, uh, you know, she reestablishes who she is, and I do the same, and we got to find a way for it to to meet in the middle and make sense. I appreciate that being open and honest, and those are uh, very important topics that we all go through. Yeah, yeah. Look, I think I think there's a group of men who are high in domestic violence right now with their rage and they're like beating their wives up and they won't talk about it they pretend that it's everything's fine and it's not okay and and let we can talk about the like construct of like abusing women and how that's wrong and telling people off and yes that's important but for me it's like if you're a man listening and you're doing that like it's much better healthier and achievable if you do something about it first 
then it happens at the point where it's visible to the world and they're like 100% clear that you're doing this and you just get marginalized to the side. And I think it's like, you know, people can, can, can accept a journey and redemption, but we can't do it if you're not even acknowledging that you're, you're a part of the problem. So, you know, these, these things are fundamentally important. If you want to be, uh, you know, part of the solution to what's going wrong in humanity, you, these are simple things that you can just acknowledge out loud and go do something about, take your time, don't look for immediate answers and just like try and be around people who are going to help you feel better and heal from the things that you're doing. I like how you're spreading that good word to other dads as well as working on it in, in your own home and mm. on that. So um, mental toughness, accountability and, and ownership of, of one's life are important principles for everyone to learn, especially kids. Um, what's your approach to instilling those principles in your kids? You, you talked about that accountability with other dads, which I love. So how do you do that at home too? Any advice for others out there? Yeah, I think the easiest thing to say is with my children, I try to get them to create ways of being that are aligned to values that they can actually stand by, live by and tolerate. It's difficult when they're really young because they don't really understand that as a concept, which is why affirmations are important. But I do think when you have slightly older kids, they've got to invent a way that they're always going to be. Um, and, and then they can ask themselves in the moment if they're going to be that way. So and a way that I had is that I always had this thing about love and affinity. And I was like, why do I never feel love in the way that I think I give it or the way that I see it and understand it? And so one of the questions that my therapist asked me is, like, are you loving? And I was like, well, no. <laughs> and that's because I was reacting to how I felt I wasn't loved. So I would become somebody to like protect myself from not being loved, but desperately hoping somebody would love me. And so I had to start creating a way of being which was loving. And in, in, in every moment, I asked myself, am I being loving? So like, if I'm not sure, if something's not working, I asked myself, am I being loving? Did I, what did I say to my wife and kids before I left? How did I, what energy did I bring to the room? And, you know, did I complete it afterwards when I was being not nice? and you know, that, that is like ways of being is different to like doing, like, you know, I don't, I don't want to just be like, did I do 50 things? Did I like take the rubbish out? And like, that's not the marker of it. And the, the other one is loving and being a man of my word. And so, you know, if I'm not, if I miss something or I, or I do something wrong, it's about really acknowledging it to the person. And I think so when we spoke, we went to do this before. And when I spoke to you, like, I need you to understand that there, there was a genuine, authentic, like I, I didn't intentionally just not do it. I know that my words matter. And so if I tell someone that I'm going to be somewhere or do something, they've got to know that I'm going to do it or at least reestablish that integrity and make sure that I do it the next time. And I think that type of relationship is fundamentally important with yourself, but also just the people around you. Um, and and, and that, that's been probably the biggest thing to teach my kids is your words matter. I like that. Have you ever had a time as an adult where you ran out of give a damn for an extended period and if so uh how did you get out of it um i think i think all the points are when i get really low and i stop caring are because i've abandoned my like rules of life um and and those things like to snap out of it it sounds very simple but i just have to say it like i i have to accept that i feel this way about the thing that i'm feeling um, and then I also need to just like create a new possibility of like what is possible for me. So it's like if me and my wife are in a rut and we're not doing okay, we just have to say, look, this is silly. I love you and we got to fix this. I'm going to invent right now that we're okay and we're going to work towards like firstly addressing the thing that's in the room and saying the last remnants of what it is. But once I say that, it's got to come with a line of like we're done. Because otherwise, I can always look to be right about it or to be smarter about it or first about it. And I think that's what reduces affinities. Like, would you ever want to be around someone who was like, yeah, but I'm right, though? And like, even if they are right, it's just like, if you can't win and have a moment where like that person didn't quite get it, you're just going to be like, I have no affinity to be around you. And I will do my best to avoid you at all costs. Cause I don't want to feel small and wrong and insignificant in your presence all the time. And some people are really like uh, addicted to being right 
and they want it so bad for themselves. And I, I'm just not that way inclined. I'm like, I will concede things for um, this idea, what I call it, it's called, is, like, is it workable? And workable is like, can I go to bed with this at night? Does it actually bring me joy? And then those things are like, if I'm going to sleep and I'm thinking about something, then it's not working. Simple. And then I have to figure out what, what the actual thing to make it work would be. How can I complete it with this person? Because the nights that I go to sleep thinking about that thing, I become like this slightly unhealthy character. I'm not sleeping properly, but also just it plays in my mind. And, I, and, and you know, the things that happen in your mind are actual real things. You, you start feeling the emotion of anxiety or like you're about to engage someone in a, in a fight if you're constantly thinking about a thing. So you've got to get it out, writing it down, saying it out loud, inventing just saying i don't want to feel this way anymore so i'm going to do this and just do something about it and i think those those things are really powerful for me awesome marvin thank you so much for coming on we are over over time that we had committed so i appreciate you sticking around um absolutely for i know you've got groups for dope black dads in london south africa new york um Mm -hmm. So tell us a little about that. And then for anyone who's remote, maybe living in other uh, locations, how could they get involved or, or find you and follow what's going on? Yeah, so each space has a Facebook group, um, a WhatsApp group. Um, and then we are also on all the other social media channels and we're constantly pushing the conversation around male parenting. Um, so you can join by just start searching it and following. Um, we are launching spaces in Australia, um, Jamaica, uh, Ghana and Nigeria in the next six months, depending on COVID. And so, um, if you also want a space created for yourself or for someone that you know is in a, in a different area of the world that doesn't have a support network, just tell them to get in touch. And we're constantly creating new spaces with amazing people all the time. So, um, we were, for us, we're like open source. So just like come and we'll tell you how it works. It's super simple. Cool. Man, I love what you're doing. I really appreciate you coming on to share not only about Dope Black Dads, but just to share about your awesome life and journey. And um, thank you for you know, coming on and thanks for being who you are, man. Um, thank you so much. To have you. You're an hey, incredibly kind you. guy. We need to do a part two at some point. We'll give people a chance to digest this and then we'll come back. <laughs> part two. It'll be fun. Uh, as long as there's a ton of plants in the background. Plants and I <laughs> will be, be growing. <laughs> All right. <laughs> thanks, man. Take care, Marvin. No worries. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoyed the show, please consider telling someone about the podcast. You could talk to someone or send a text message. You could even fold them a sweet origami swan that has dad conversations written inside it. Or you could share an episode on social media Maybe even write a review of the podcast on your podcasting app. If you think the podcast sucks, that's totally cool. And I want to know why. Please send me any constructive criticism, such as a new question you'd like me to ask, or a request to stop saying um. Also, feel free to send unconstructive hate mail, or whatever's on your mind. You can find me at Sean Radvansky on LinkedIn, or DM Dad Conversations on Twitter. Whatever you do, I hope you have a great day.